Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along. It's a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week, chatting to Sarah Alderson about her new novel, The Stalker. Now, Sarah is busy. Busy, 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 busy working on novels and working as a screenwriter uh, for telly in LA too. We talk about how she makes time for novel writing and amongst all the other writing that she finds herself doing. Also, how her ideas come from circumstance rather than outright inspiration and her favourite thing about the way that she thinks. Not having that feeling of, oh, not good enough, is or perfectionism, just is, is so unhelpful if you're trying to write. Like, I think it stops a lot of people from pursuing their dreams. And I'm very lucky I'm not a perfectionist. I think it's a great, <laughs> great asset in the industry I'm in because... It means that I don't get caught up in my head. Stick around, it's a suitably busy one this week with Sarah Alderson. Yes, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's working day. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for following and sharing. Uh, I hope your 2022 has started full of words. Someone who I'm sure it has done, uh, Sarah Alderson, our guest this week. She surrounds herself with words all of the time. She's written YA, Young Adult. She's published psych thrillers, Friends Like These, In Her Eyes and The Weekend Away, which has been adapted for Netflix. She writes romance as well under a pseudonym. Uh, also writes for telly for the show SWAT uh, over in the States on CBS. And uh, her new novel is out now. It's called The Stalker about Liam and Laura, newlyweds, spending their honeymoon on a remote island when they realise they aren't alone. We talk about why she takes holidays from her work to write more stuff, to write her actual stories. Also, what it's like writing with a competitive team in a bustling Hollywood writing room. You can hear how she managed to get a book down in 10 days and why she escaped the world to start her writing career. It's all on the way and we start things off as we always do with what Sarah sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. So I write actually a lot of my books in bed <laughs> um, and um, I sort of try and vary my where I write. But um, right now I am at my desk 
um, and it is a complete pigsty. I'm embarrassed. I'm glad there's no camera. You can't see it. Um, it's got so much junk on it. I can't even begin to explain. A lot of photographs of my daughter and me and my husband. Um, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of copies of the New Yorker, which are piling up because I haven't had a chance to read them. Um, and then just um, lots and lots of post-its with random things on like um, to-do lists and also quotes. Um, yeah. What what quote what quotes do you have? Um, I have this one. I don't even know who it's by. It's not live, laugh, love, is it? Oh God, no. It's um, you need not leave your room, remain seated at your table and listen. You need not even listen, simply wait, just be quiet, still and solitary. And I think I have that one. I don't know who it's by. It's very roomy or someone really famous. Um, I just like it because it's a reminder that often the ideas come not when you're stressing, like you just have to go away and just let it percolate in your head, you know, and then they, I find that they come and those are often the best ideas, the ones that come unexpectedly, like when you're in the shower. I'm always interested about quotes in particular, the, the, the conscious, like the consciousness of taking something in your case, writing on a post-it note and then sticking it up uh, without trying to break it down too much, because that would be a bit strange. Like what's the process of you do you see the quote and you think, ah, oh, yeah, I need to keep that into my head? Or is it more of a, you know, you're sat there thinking, I need some inspiration. I'll go and look at my quotes. What, how does that work? No, not really. I don't know. I just, I've had that one actually there for about six or seven years. I think um, sometimes it's a reminder to me because I have a lot of projects juggling. And sometimes when you hit like a snag where you're like, I just can't fix this in the story. I don't know what to do. Um, the more I kind of sit and try and puzzle it out, the more stressed I get. So it's just more a kind of reminder to not to not do that. So I think that one, that's the one that I stayed on my desk. The other one I have actually, and my husband framed it, um, and this goes back a while, it's actually framed above my desk, um, and it says, fuck it. <laughs> um, and it's because um, about 11 years ago, I was working in London for a nonprofit called Time Bank. I was a head of projects. This is before I even started a writing career. And um, my husband and I, we had a two-year-old at the time, three-year-old, and we decided to quit our jobs and travel around the world. And um, we uh, we were really sort of like anxious about what we would do on this journey to earn money. And I decided that I would try being a writer. It was a very random decision. It sort of came out of nowhere. I was like, oh, how hard can it be to write a novel? You know, Stephanie Mayer did it. Um, I can do it. And so I started writing my first novel, which was Hunting Lila. And I just read this book um, and it's called Fuck It, The Ultimate Spiritual Way, I think. And it's sort of like a distillation of Buddhist philosophy, which is always to ask what's the worst that could happen and just go for it. And I really, really um, took that philosophy to heart. And so whenever I would have a wobble um, in my career, like writing or whatever I was doing, I would sort of just remember that, you know, and just go effort, just go for it. And so, yeah, it became my like motto. And so my husband framed it for me. Um, Let me very quickly, I, like, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're here to talk about writing, but the idea of you with a kid upping sticks and traveling around the world and ended up in Bali, which I know you did for a while. Uh, and I'm conscious that at the moment, uh, people in like London and cities, we've been in lockdown, they might want a massive change in their life. How long were you kind of ruminating over that decision to pack it all in and go traveling? Probably about six months. 
um, the idea came to us in the January and then by the summer we'd committed to doing it. Originally we were going to take a three month sabbatical and then we decided that we would just cut the safety net um, and just go. And we didn't, you know, we actually took a loan for a new bathroom <laughs> um, to pay for the tickets. We, we did it on a very tight shoestring. I mean, it was, now I look back, I'm like, wow, we really did it for like very small amount of money. And it was very much a backpacking trip with a three-year-old in a tutu. I mean, it was, yeah, but it was really, really amazing experience. And it did kick off my writing career because it, it was very much like, what am I going to do to earn money on this trip? I was very naive. I didn't Google how much writers earn. <laughs> Luckily for me. Uh, I, well, I hear people like Stephen King are very rich and famous. So it's, it's must be, must be quite a lot. No. Um, it, no, I think for like the Stephen Kings of the world. Yes. Um, and the John Grishams and the J.K. Rowling, yeah. but I think that's a very tiny percent, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I've had some success, but um, it wouldn't be enough to like live on. I don't. It was, yeah. It, it's nothing compared to what you can earn as a screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I can imagine. Listen, you said that you, you, you write. I mean, you describe your quite busy office, but also you, you said that you write quite a lot in your bed. Um. Why is that the case? Why, when you've got this office, why are you writing? Why are you writing novels in under the covers? Um, I think it's just more comfortable. Um, I I think I wrote my first ten books in bed, for sure. Um, I wrote my second novel actually um, on the beach in Goa, which was part of our trip around the world. Um, and I also wrote a book, Come Back to Me, which is under another name, Myla Gray, which is actually my best selling novel I think to date. And that one I wrote in ten days. Again, in the same place in Goa on the beach, I just love India. And so, uh, yeah, that's obviously a very rich place of inspiration for me. So you were traveling around the world, three-year-old in tow, worried about how you were going to make money, uh, thinking, oh, I'll do it as a writer. And I mean, you are, you are cracking out the words if you're writing a book in 10 days. Yes, I, I'm a really fast typist. I can do, if I push myself, I can do like 7,000 words a day which is crazy. Um, and I don't like to write that way, but I am very fast. What about the distractions though? So, sorry, sorry. What about the distractions? I, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're in Goa, you're on a beach in Goa. There's a lot to keep you busy in a, in, on a traveling road. Yes. But there's also no internet, which really helps because there's no, dis there were no distractions. And that actually those 10 days, my daughter wasn't with me. Um, so I was on my own and it was really, you know, so I was able to focus. Ah, okay. That, well, that, that makes, that makes more sense. Uh, you in your bed is it just you and your laptop and my dog yes <laughs> and a cup of coffee <laughs> um but yeah that's generally how it goes yeah take me onto your screen the show can get quite nerdy are you writing on a word or an american word processor kind of thing and, and yes i always write on word when i'm writing a novel yeah, my daughter's trying to get me onto Google Docs, but I, you know, I'm, I think I'm too old. <laughs> so, I, you know, I grew up on Word, so I know how to use it. So, yeah, I do everything on Word. Um, have you got Have you got any strong font opinions, Sarah? No, I, I mean, apart from don't ever use Comic Sans. No, I think I use either Arial or Courier. Yep, two good, two standard ones. Yeah, we're a fan <laughs> of those. But just before we get into your writing day. When you're writing other things, so you're a screenwriter, you've been screenwriting at home for the last year. When you're writing that, like your paid day job, are you still in bed for that or are you sitting in there in your office? 
<laughs> no, you have to have the camera on. <laughs> so um, for TV, I write on a TV show um, called SWAT for CBS. I've, this is my fourth season. So the first two seasons we were in the room before COVID and that's down in LA and it's 12 people in a room like for eight hours, you just sit around a table talking about story lines and characters and breaking episodes together. And now we're doing the same. It's just on Zoom. So I'm in my study. How was that collaborative process working in a in a writer's room, something that's notoriously uh, competitive and there's a lot of ideas get thrown around? How, how do you think that might have affected the way that you write novels on your own in bed? Yeah, no, I think it's been... Um absolutely brilliant for me in terms of you know I I have no formal training as a writer I didn't study creative writing I didn't study screenwriting so I'm kind of an anomaly in Hollywood but um I also feel like I spent an entire childhood like watching inappropriate movies for my age and watching a lot of TV. You know, I grew up in the sort of the 80s, early 90s. I was watching Buffy. You know, I watched Terminator when I was like eight years old. I loved it. So um, I think that had a huge influence on my writing. So my even my first novel reads very much like a movie. Um, and I think being in the room and learning the craft um, television writing is a real skill and I don't think um, I don't think it's an easy thing to learn until you're thrown into it and you have to experience that um, I love it I love the collaborative nature of it like bouncing ideas um, around and but then I also love being able to come home and write a book on my own because there's a lot of um you know, in TV, you it's a collaborative medium. It, you know, you write a script, the, you know, the producers weigh in, uh, the network weighs in, the studio weighs in, everyone has got notes. Whereas with a book, it's your story. It's, you know, I sit down, I write it, um, an editor will give me suggestions, which I don't have to take. Whereas with TV, you know, it's not really your um, script to own. It's not your story. But I do think a lot of the techniques that you use in television and film to craft a story um, have really, I've transferred them over to my, when I write a book. So I will structure it much more carefully than I used to. Would you just give us an example of those? Because I'm, I'm conscious that the show that you write on and other shows of, uh, of that ilk kind of thrilling dramas, uh, it's particularly in America are quite heavily structured, structured around ads, structured to keep us watching, structured around, uh, all of that. Um, uh, just can you give us some examples of maybe ways that they, those specific beat points are reflected in your novels? Sure. So, you know, in, um, you're very right. And especially on the show I write on, it is very much structured around act breaks, um, which, you know, usually are cliffhangers so that you ensure the audience comes back. And so I think, I think that's taught me the value of having cliffhangers, especially in a thriller, if you're writing a novel that's a thriller, is, you know, the end of each chapter having a, a beat that kind of like draws the reader on and makes them, you know, turn the next page. That's very similar. Um, I think the structure of, um, is the same across television movies and books you know you start with a protagonist um a catalyst moment that leads them into the second act you know there's always like the sort of the b story kicks off and then you have a lot of like the fun and games moment and then you know the bad guys closing all those kind of classic moments that you have in a feature film you can also put into a book you know that that sort of reckoning moment where you have the dark night of the soul and then so all of those plot points that you would have in a film I think translate brilliantly into books 
So I try and copy that structure when I'm writing my books. And partly I do that because when I write a novel, I'm very much thinking ahead to adapting that for screen. And so the more I can stick to that structure, the easier it is for me to then adapt it. It's a really steep learning curve. And then every show you're on, you obviously have to change how you write because, you know, there's a difference between network television and prestige television. And then there's a difference for movies as well. Like my, the book, my previous book, The Weekend Away, I just adapted for Netflix into a feature. Um, So that's going to be out in January. And again, that was another process altogether. Um, I think it was a really, a really steep learning curve, but more on the production side, because from day one, I was expected to be producing my episodes or going to set. And that was very much like, oh my goodness, I've been thrown in the deep end. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, whereas The Room, I actually found it, um, I won't say easy because it is a challenging environment, but um, I'm very lucky. I work on a really wonderful show with really wonderful people. There are some really toxic, awful stories that come out of Hollywood, but I'm very fortunate not to have that. But um, I actually felt like being a novelist was very, very helpful to me in that circumstance. Like I was much more comfortable and much, um, I would say I had a, my skill set was that I'm really strong on ideas because I'm a novelist and I'm used to coming up with ideas on my own. That meant that like I was very able to like pitch stories. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like having that novelist background has really helped me be a screenwriter as much as a screenwriter has helped me be a better novelist. Now, you've been surrounded by stories for a while, as I say, stories on telly and on film. You've written YA, you've written romance under a different name, you've written uh, psych thrillers and crime thrillers. Uh, is, is there... Is there a plan to this, Sarah? Um, or, <laughs> no, no, no. And I know it always, it always, it always comes out like that, doesn't it? When when that question gets asked. But what I mean is, do you sit there and think, or how much do you sit there and think, okay, I'm going to write this book now, and then I'll write that book then, or is it a case of this idea is really interesting, and you have no concern about any genre at all? It's just you've got a story, so you need to get it out. Um, I think I was like that in the beginning of my career. I very much, my first novel, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what genre was popular. I just wrote the story that I wanted to tell. And I was, you know, madly in love with the story and the characters. And and then I ended up doing YA. Um, but it's interesting because all my YA books were sort of thrillers. Um, and I think I was just really passionate about that particular genre um, and I've always loved action, which makes me quite an unusual female screenwriter because not many women in Hollywood write action. Um, so um, I definitely had a, you know, my first seven books for YA. And then what happened was my editor at Simon & Schuster moved to Pan Macmillan. And she asked if I would go there and write a book for her, but I couldn't because I was under contract. So what I did was I said, oh, I can write for you, but I have to change my name. So I came up with a pen name, Myla Gray, and we decided I would just write contemporary romance without any of the action thrills. And those books, I've done five of them now, are actually have been really, really successful. And those are just sort of uh, new adult, young adult romance. Um, and then I was approached by a publisher in the UK, um, Mal Holland, to write a thriller. And I spoke, I talked it through with my agent um, and I said, yeah, okay, I'll give that one a go. And then that, that sort of new wave of a career sort of as an adult thriller writer started. 
And so I've done five books now in that genre. And I think that's probably where I'm most comfortable now because I, I feel too old to write YA. You know, my daughter's now like nearly 15. Um, and I guess I just don't feel down enough with the kids. She makes me feel very old. So, um, yeah, thrillers. And also, I, I, for me, it's a natural fit. So I'm going to keep going with that as long as I can until I get bored. <laughs> Three different styles of genre, completely different. They're starting off in mm. YA, then moving to, to romance and then to thrillers. How easy was it for you to make the change? How much thought did you give to mm. any of the standard tropes that appear in romance that definitely don't appear in YA, for instance? Um, that's a good question. I didn't give it a huge amount of thought. Um, I just sort of wrote the stories that I was interested in. Um, I think probably the one thing that connects all of my books across the genres is I always try and write, um, about an issue I care about. So, um, I always want my protagonist to be facing a situation, um, or an issue that I'm particularly interested in, whether that is domestic violence or um, sexual assault or um, toxic friendships. You know, I always want to have, or mental health, like there's always something that I'm trying to say through my characters. And I think if I keep that in mind, then I just try and craft the best story and the best characters around that. Right, let's get to the point of the show, Sarah. So, with, with it, oh, okay. that, no, that's great. As in, I, I very ra- rarely go off piste in it, so like that. We usually were quite tightly formatted. Anyway, uh, the show is writer's routine, Sarah. Talk us through yours. Uh, the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are writing your novels, uh, how does it look? Are you fitting everything around it? Just take us through the whole day. Um, yeah, so you, because I work full time screenwriting, like I'm always juggling a million things. Um, so I try and write a book during my hiatus, which is when I have about three months off. Um, and so I'll finish production and I will start writing. And because I don't have very much time, probably give myself six weeks. And um, so I, I set a pretty rigorous um, you know, schedule. I will try and do at least 4,000 words a day on that schedule so that I can get something down within five weeks. Uh, usually my books run to around, I would say between, usually around 80,000 words, between 75 and 85 anyway. Um, so I th- I think the, the one thing that I do is I write the 4,000 words and then I'm not very, I'm an early morning person. So I'm not, I'm not really capable of writing past about five o'clock in the evening. I like my brain turns to mush. So then I'll just um, relax. And then I wake up very early. I wake up about 5.36 and I'll make a cup of coffee and I'll sit down and I will read through what I wrote the previous day and just polish it. And then I'll move straight on so that I'm in the flow. Um, And I just keep that routine up day in, day out until I have a draft. And then usually I sit on that draft for about two weeks. I just let it kind of, I don't think about it. And then when I go back to it, it's it's with more of a fresh eye. Um, And I found one of the ways that is good for me to edit is to sit down and read it out loud because then I can hear the rhythm and the cadence and I can pick up, you know, when I'm repeating a word or an idea, um, it just, listening to it out loud is very helpful. Um, And so I'll do an edit and then, um, 
send it to my agent for notes. So that's kind of my routine when I, and then what happens is I'm usually back on a show or working on a script when I get my notes from my editor. So then again, I'll just get up very, very early (laughs) and, and work between like six and nine before I have to sort of start my day job, if you like. Um, so yeah, that's my routine. It's usually at the moment I'm doing like 12 hour days nonstop. So during the hiatus, when, when you, you are dedicating your time solely to your novels and you say you start early, uh, how long does it tend to take you to get down, to get out the 4,000 words? Um, probably, um, about five hours, six hours. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I think it's about five hours if I push. How concerned are you about the quality of those five four thousand words i'm the the reason i ask is because if you've only got three months to write the thing you know you're quite tightly restricted by how much you can afford to edit with afterwards do those four thousand words do they need to be almost the exact ones that are going to make the final draft i would say you know i'm on book 22 or whatever um my first drafts do tend to be fairly solid like um I am lucky that way, I think, because I, I intrinsically know how to write the structure. So I'm not having to move stuff around. Um, and my first draft, I would say, is like 80% there, which, I you know, is lucky. Um, and I think just going over it the next day helps smooth it out. And then obviously I spend t- two weeks or so after I finish the draft going over it again and polishing it and polishing it. Um And then I usually have a pretty close to finished draft. Obviously, then it goes to my publisher and they give notes. Um, So, yeah, I I guess I'm just I I try not to doubt myself too much. I just try and write and focus on that rather than like, oh, no, it's not good enough. I think, you know, not having that feeling of, oh, not good enough is or perfectionism just is is so unhelpful if you're trying to write. Like, I think it stops a lot of people from pursuing their dreams. And I'm very lucky I'm not a perfectionist. I think it's a great, <laughs> great asset in the industry I'm in because it means that I don't get caught up in my head. I just move on. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We've got more from Sarah in just a sec. If you're enjoying the show, if you've learned anything along the way, this is our 202nd episode now. If you've learned anything in those 202 episodes with different chats with different authors every time, uh, you can let us know what you think. You can support the show and say thanks if you've managed to gain any tips along the way. Patreon.com forward slash writers routine is where you need to go. Uh, thank you very much. If you've got involved, if you've helped us out over there, a little goes an extraordinarily long way, I promise. It helps us keep bringing you chats with the best authors around as often as we can. I think we've got an unbroken series of episodes well into this year, which is brilliant news if everything goes to plan. Uh, for that pledge, for your backing, you can get merch, you can get more bonus episodes. There is also a way for your book to sponsor the show, and it doesn't take a lot. Just uh, a couple of dollars a month really helps us carry on, helps us keep bringing you these chats. If you'd like to become a backer and pledge to support the show, please do that. It's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Sarah Alderson talking about her new novel, The Stalker. It's all about Laura and Liam, newlyweds on honeymoon in a remote island, and they realise they aren't alone. We talk about the very first idea for the book, also why she started planning her novels after about 10 books of pantsing. You can hear why she's become more strategic in her thinking when coming up with story ideas, writing for so many different outlets, novels... Uh, journalism, magazines, on the telly. It's all helped her really iron out what she needs to do to get a story down. And we pick things up, talking more about why she started saying no. I know myself pretty well now. um, And I know the the biggest danger I have is burnout. Um, So I need to manage my time quite carefully and not say yes to everything, which is a new thing for me. I've always said yes to everything and then just been a bit overwhelmed. Um, And I've also found that sometimes when I stick to that routine of 4,000 words a day and I'm like, I'm exhausted, I will have to just say, Sarah, you really need to take a day off. And the, the best thing I can do is to go out hiking or just go to the ocean, just to be outside and to get back into nature and read books and try and put my mind somewhere else for a while is very um, replenishing, I find, especially as a writer, you know, reading other people's work is is great. I try not to actually do that when I'm in the middle of writing a book, because then I find I sometimes pick up another writer's voice, which I'm trying to avoid doing. So I don't often read novels when I'm writing a book. Um, but I do for the rest of the year, I'm just, you know, I've got like six or seven books on, on the go at once. Um, so yeah, just making sure I spend the time with self-care, I suppose, so that I don't burn out. And lastly, just on the day, because I'm quite fascinated by this this hiatus, this concentrated time that you've given yourself, because you need to make the most of it. Uh, how much do you know about the story that you will write before you even type away that first sentence? How planned is it? Yeah, actually quite a lot. It's funny, my first books, my first 10 or so books, I never planned anything. I was very much a seat of pants. You know, I would just sit down at my computer. I'd have a very vague idea, maybe even just an idea for a beginning. And then I would just write and it would flow. Um, and, and that's how I kind of managed for the first few 
I would say seven, eight, nine books probably. And then when I got more into screenwriting, it's quite funny. I tried that approach with screenwriting and it really didn't work. It was a disaster. Um, And now I've since learned that, you know, you can't start writing a script until you've spent you know, probably at least a month breaking that script down, like every beat, every scene, you've done all the character work. And then it becomes much easier to write the script because you've almost got the whole story already written out. And so um, I started doing that with my books, which was very novel for me. And I kind of bucked against it at first because I felt like it interrupted my flow. Um, But with a thriller, particularly, you really do need to plot because, you know, you need the red herrings and you need to know kind of much more clearly from the outset where you're going. You know, you know, need to know who, who's who's done it. And so, um, yes, I do. I probably spend a week, maybe two weeks doing about a 10 page outline of um, the story. And I try and stick to it. But inevitably, I don't always like as you're writing, things change or you have a better idea or you decide, oh, actually, I want this character to do this instead. Or the characters come to life and start doing their own thing, and then you just follow it. And so I kind of learned to trust that process. Um, so yes, planning has become my friend, whereas once it was my enemy. Um, but it's definitely important for thrillers, I would say, to plan. Otherwise, you're just going to end up rewriting and rewriting and having to restructure, which is never fun. And and what what keeps you going? I, I, if you're writing all year round on a TV show, I would have thought it's a bit of a busman's holiday to then on your holiday then write another <laughs> write your own novel. <laughs> what, what, why why do you keep going back to it? Question. Um, I've been asking myself that. No, but I really love writing books, and um, I I don't I. I guess it's my first love, you know, it was what I was doing before screenplays and I really like the autonomy of it. Um, and I also value the intellectual property of it, uh, which um, for layman speak is that if you're a novelist um, and then you can sell that book as a screenplay or as a movie, um, it's, you know, it's, it's very good. And so I sort of see my books as a long form screenplay. And then I'm like, oh, well, I can do both with one book. You know, I can write the book and then I can adapt it as a movie or as a TV show. So it kind of has a dual purpose for me. And so how much does that affect your starting novels now, knowing that, hey, I could I could sell this to Netflix. They might ask me to write the thing. Um is are you second guessing almost every decision you're making because you're thinking well I might need to change that for films no um I mean I think there are some things so for the stalker that was definitely um a choice I made based on covid which is interesting because obviously last year when covid hit and we were in the middle of production on this quite big series we were the only show in LA I think that stayed filming like we had very strict protocols um on set And we managed to get 18 episodes in the can. And that was a huge feat. Um, And But what I learned from that was, okay, um, the only stuff that's getting made right now are things with only a couple of actors in remote locations where you can actually film safely. And so when I was writing The Stalker, I was like, okay, I'm going to sell a cast of three or four and put it on an island. So if we can make this as a movie, it will be really producible. Um, So that definitely influenced that aspect of the book because I was thinking ahead but because I adapt my own work 
Um, I'm also really aware that how how to how to write it as a novel in the best way and knowing that when it comes to adapting it I'm obviously going to have to change it you know because you've got different points of view you can add more characters if you're stretching over eight episodes you can build out the world so um it does influence it but I wouldn't say uh to the point where you know I'm trying to do two things at once I'm basically just trying to create the most interesting story with the most interesting characters for that particular medium that's incredible. I On the show, I'll always ask the author, talk to me about the first moment where the idea for the story came into your mind. And I've, I've, I've never had it so, <clears throat> I've never had the, that initial genesis be, be so analyzed before, I would say, and be a, a thought, be, be the product of circumstance rather than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I've become more strategic in my thinking. Um, from working in Hollywood, definitely. I always choose my thriller novels, um, a protagonist who's an everyday person. So a situation that me or any of my readers could theoretically find themselves in. And um, as I said before, I'm also interested in tackling issues that I think are important um, and sort of um, speaking to women and their circumstances and their situations and I very much like to use my characters to either inspire or empower readers in some way. So um, without giving too much away about the stalker, I was um, interested in the idea of stalking, obviously, because I'd, I'd read quite a lot about it in the news and how it's becoming an issue. And I was also wanting to do something in the area of like domestic violence. And so the idea very much came from that um I can't really I, I don't want to give too much away because it has got like a really good twist so um perhaps I'll just I'll talk about The Weekend Away which was my prior novel and the idea for that came from um I was on a weekend away <laughs> to listen with my best friend and I just had the thought wow like what if you were in a foreign country and you didn't speak the language and your best friend went missing you know and you're stuck not really knowing the landscape or the city or the people or the language or the culture and you have to find them and um so I just went down that train of thought like what would happen if that was me like how would I handle this situation um and so that was the genesis for that particular story I just want to talk about twists for a second and I know you don't want to touch about it a, a lot because <clears throat> because why would you uh but it's more I, because you, you've mentioned already that you you plan things out quite thoroughly now, uh, the 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 moment a twist happens, uh, how how do you decide upon the fact that this will occur? You know, not every book has such seismic a twist. Um, is it born of like heavy mind mapping, or is it like a moment of inspiration where it's like, oh, this could happen now? I think it's the latter. Yeah, I don't. I'm not really a mind mapper type person. I think I just get moments of inspiration where I'm like, oh, that would be so cool. Um, or like, oh, that would be such a great twist. Um, and I do think all, I, all my books have got that twist towards the end where you're like, oh my gosh. And one of the things I'm most proud of, and I very, very rarely read reviews, um, but I have been really happy to hear people go, I did not see that coming. I, and I get that a lot with my thrillers. I, you know, people are completely blindsided. And that to me is like the ultimate success, right? That you've pulled the wool over really intelligent readers' eyes who read, 
you know, hundreds of these books. Uh, so for them to not see it coming to me is like, yes, I did it. I did it. Uh, how much, because you've written in so many different genres with the current, with thrillers, how much are you thinking about the tone and the voice that your narrative is in? Um, a lot. I always write in the first person um, because I think that's much more engaging for a reader and it allows me to get into the head of the character much more effectively. Um, it does make it difficult when you're trying to structure a book I, I, I don't want to use the term unreliable narrator, but if say you have a protagonist who is telling the story to the reader, but is not being quite honest, that's a delicate dance because you don't want the reader at the end to be really angry with your character and feel like they were tricked. So, you know, holding back as opposed to lying, it, it's a really tricky one to do when you're using first person. Um, but I hope I've pulled that one off because for me, it I would rather write in the first person and and have to deal with that problem than write, you know, from a different point of view and it not be as easy to get into the head of that character or for the reader to understand them as well. That is it for this week with Sarah Alderson. Thank you so much for in, listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, if you want a copy of The Stalker, you can get it. It's out now. We recorded that a few months ago now. I've got a little bit of a backlog that I'm working through. Massive thanks to Sarah for coming on the show. Uh, next week, we're chatting to domestic noir writer Anna Kent about her new novel, The House of Whispers. It's coming up next week. Make sure you follow the show so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to back us, you can. You can pledge to support us, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Uh, and you can also give us a follow on Twitter at writers pod there. And you can review the show if you've got some nice things to say on Apple Podcasts. Always get in touch as well, writersroutine.com. Until then, I will see you next Friday with a brand new episode. It's Anna's Kent running through her writer's routine. Until then, bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.